Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. Joining us today are Kelly Tab and Sandy Lanclose. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. We like to start each podcast with our first things first question. And today's question is, what is the first adjective your spouse would use to describe your personality? And do you agree with them? So answer that question and tell us a little bit about yourselves, ladies. I'm Sandy Langclose, and I am married to Damien, and I have two kids who are in high school, and I also work here at the church. And the first word that my husband said was solid, but then he kind of backed up and said, wait, what was the question again? Uh, was it to describe you or to describe your personality? And so I read the question. It said personality. So then he changed it to vivacious. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Oh. And I thought vivacious mm-hmm. probably describe, I see that describing me as a younger me. I think as I've gotten older, I've kind of mellowed a little bit. I'm not quite as bubbly and energetic, um, but I appreciated the compliment. I took it I as a compliment. I don't know that I agree with that, Sandy. You are yeah. pretty bubbly. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Um, but I definitely think solid fits me too. And, and he expanded upon that, meaning just solid in my thinking, solid in terms of being reliable, um, knowing that I'll com- you know do whatever I say I'm going to do. And I think that's a good combination. I mean, vivacious and solid, mm-hmm. like to interweave those two. Nice. Well, my name is Kelly Tab, and my husband, Ogden, and I have five kids. Um, Our oldest is a freshman in college, um, and we have a 17-year-old, 15-year-old, 10-year-old, 8-year-old at Mm. home. Um, I work full-time here at the church as well. Um, When I asked my husband the word he would use to describe me, he said fun, and I was surprised. (laughs) Um, If anybody knows us and my husband especially, he is the fun one for sure. He... Um, I kind of am the, am the taskmaster parent. I feel mm-hmm. like I am the one that tells people when it's time to go to bed and tells them to do their chores and checks to make sure they did their homework. And so for him to describe me as fun, I hope I'm bringing some fun mm-hmm. into those tasks, mm-hmm. into those everyday things. Um, but it was encouraging for him to describe me that way. Did he say why you're fun? Why he thought he said it was because he said you're my favorite person to do things Aww. with. Aww. I would rather oh, do yeah. things with you. I have fun with you. Um, so I, it was encouraging. It was sweet. Very sweet. You know, and I think sometimes seasons of life just require for us to have to act and do in certain ways. Yeah. And he knows the person that you are in in other seasons. Yes, I so don't feel very fun right now because it's <laughs> just a busy you. season. You know, yeah, I mean, it's just you. a yeah. lot of no time gotta for get fun. This done. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. no time for fun. Exactly. Um, so I, I, I did try, I, I tried to ask my husband, um, what is the question? What is the word that he would use to describe me? And he's traveling this week. So I was asking over text and I think there was some failure to communicate. <laughs> so some of the, some of the descriptors he was coming back with were just so inappropriate. <laughs> Like, I said personality. <laughs> personality. I said, yeah, yeah. So finally, finally, the text chat ended with, okay, I'm done with you. <laughs> but in other times when we're communicating clearly and he's not being silly, um, he, he would generally say that I'm caring, mm. uh, probably to a fault. Um, so, yeah, and I, I think that's probably a fair mm-hmm. assessment. Yeah. 
You are Karen. That cracks me up. The two of y'all would go back home. That was this morning. Like that that okay. was this morning. And finally, oh, I said, morning. just never mind, Mark. It's just, yeah, okay, I'm done. I'm going to choose my own and word. Then he, yeah, and then he kept just sending words. It's like, no, just stop. Just stop. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I texted John yesterday, too, and then I, I, I sort of preempted it with, you may not say this, 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 or this. <laughs> That's what I should have done. That, That's what I should have done. What would you say? Yes. And then he didn't text me back. And then this morning... I was like, oh, yeah, I got to ask you that question. And so we're sitting there. I said, hey, did you get my text yesterday? But huh, no. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I feel very loved. I said, okay, so the question is, what word would you use to describe my personality? And he thought about it for a minute. And he said, pleasant. And Aww. I said, oh, I appreciate that. Why do you say pleasant? It, which kind of feels like you're digging for a compliment. But right. I need something to go on. He said, well, because you're pleasant to be around. Like, I like to be around you. Um, I feel like you make our home a pleasant place. I feel like other people find you to be a pleasant person mm -hmm. and I said well that's nice especially since you know the unpleasant side of me as well <laughs> and my boys know the unpleasant side of me as well and they can can tell you about when mom is not very pleasant uh, because when people are closest to us obviously yeah. they know all the parts of absolutely. us the fun and the not right, fun absolutely. right the solid and the falling apart you know they know all of those sorts of things as well when we're getting into Joshua this week our chapters are five and six and we're talking about personalities and how well we know somebody and as we get into these chapters I think it's going to be important that we take just a minute to talk about what we, who we know God to be holistically because in chapters one in chapter one of Joshua we had our prologue and chapters two through four it told the account of coming into the land and now we're moving into a new section, um, chapters 5 through 12, which our two chapters for today are included in, are going to talk about the conquest of the land and the taking over of the land. And that comes with battles. It comes with um, conquest of not just physical land, but the people who live on it. And those are some hard things to read mm -hmm. at times. And a lot of times they're very off-putting uh, to people. And I think if we can't admit that the things that we read about that take place in that type of conquest is difficult. Um, it's it's horrific in some ways. That if we just breeze over that and don't acknowledge that, it makes it seem as if, well, those people don't matter because we're talking about God's people here. And this is all about victory and conquest and moving in and whatsoever. I mean, and things like that. But that's really not how it's presented in Scripture, as if we should should just sort of breeze over this, but but pause to consider it. And so... With that, it's it's pausing to consider the God who judges and who he is. And even in these two chapters, I appreciated when I was thinking about that, just taking a closer look at what God says and who he is. And in, even before I got there, I had the thought, because I struggle with this sometimes. I have in my mind at times, here's this conquering nation, and in the name of God, they just go in and take over everybody. And, and it can seem so unfair. Mm -hmm. And when I'm thinking about it that way, just like this is just about conquest of land for this one nation, then it's easy to think that way. But when you remember that this isn't about Israel's conquest, this is about God's plan unfolding. And God's plan includes a judgment on a nation who he's been very patient with for 400 years. It stuck out to me reading a commentary this time that it was in Genesis when he's talking to Abraham over 400 years prior that he says you will inherit this land but you're not going to have it now because the sin of these people is not yet complete which means I have 400 years more to be patient with them until I bring judgment and 400 years for opportunities to show mercy that maybe we don't know anything about and so it's that the Lord had a plan 
For Israel, yes, but then for these nations as well. And it's a hard plan because it's judgment. But in the midst of that judgment, there is mercy. And if you're looking at these chapters, a couple of things that stood out to me about who God is, what we'd say about him is the first one is he shows up here as the commander of the Lord's army. And I love that. Like Joshua's standing on the land of Jericho, or a land just outside of Jericho. That's how it, how the chapter describes it. And he sees this man standing with a sword drawn. Mm-hmm. And to have a sword drawn means you're about to go into battle. It means you're, you know, there's death coming. And he goes up to that man and he says, who are you for? Mm-hmm. Us or our enemies? And how he says, I'm not for either one. I am the commander of the Lord's army and I have come. And I just, it, it really dispelled that idea that somehow Israel is using God to their advantage, but that God say, no, I'm in charge of this. And the place that you're standing on is holy ground, you know, and, and that, that Jericho, the land right there, he called that holy because that's who, where he was. He had set that land apart for himself, for his purposes, and that Joshua, you know, fell to his face and worshiped and asked, Lord, what would you have me, have me to do? And he says, I'm giving this land to you. This is my choice to give it to you. It's not because you're so, um, it's not because Israel was more righteous. It's not because they were more worthy. It was not because they were more favored. It was because the Lord had chose to use them as an instrument in his, in his justice and his judgment. But judgment is, a, it's a terrible thing. And I think too, it reflects the terribleness of sin. And when I forget how terrible and destructive sin is, then I really struggle with judgment. Mm -hmm. But when I have a clearer picture of how terrible sin is, then judgment, it doesn't make it more palpable, um, but it makes it less illogical. It makes it less unfair to me. So I, I thought about those couple of things, and it doesn't make the difficulty of what goes on go away, but it gives me a little bit of context context and how I'm thinking about it. And the other last thing I thought too is right in the middle of the story, you know, when the walls do fall down and they go in and they take over this, all of these people, then you could give a whole bunch of details about which warriors did what and how it happened and how the battle unfolded and all this, but they, it's just one or two sentences. But what's highlighted in the middle of that is the bringing out of Rahab and how in the midst of judgment, mercy really does take mm-hmm. center stage. And it's that mercy uh, that God really does delight in, even in the midst of judgment. So just with those things in mind, if you have not read listeners chapters five or six, I would encourage you to hit the pause button and, and do it. I say that, or Vanessa says it, one of the two of us, every time we uh, do this podcast because it's one thing to listen to us speak. It's a whole nother thing to read the word yourself and hear the Lord speak to you. So if you haven't had a chance to do that, like I said, hit the pause button, do that now. And then we're going to move on. And Vanessa's going to talk to us a little bit about what takes place at the beginning of chapter five, how before it's kind of this odd pause because here the nation has crossed uh, the Jordan river and all of the other surrounding nations, it says are, are so in fear of them have so much fear that their hearts melt. And you think, oh, now's the time. You better march in, take care of business. Everybody's too afraid to come out and meet you. They're all in terror of you. But they don't do that. They don't march strictly into battle. They take this kind of crazy pause, and they circumcise all the men, and they celebrate Passover. So, Vanessa, talk to us a little bit about the significance of that. Yeah, I I think the timing of this circumcision is really notable, as you're Mm -hmm. saying, Amber, but I think it's nothing less than the demonstration of an act of tremendous faith. Yeah. Because to stop, it, it, it is illogical. It seems very illogical to stop and to um, put these men in a very vulnerable position when, the, when it would seem that they're ready to go and take the land. Mm-hmm. And so scripture says that they are at this point, 
removing the Lord removes a reproach of Israel, of Egypt from them. Um, and so they're doing this says that we're not doing this in our own power. We're not going to take this land in our own power, but the God who fights for us, mm-hmm. our God is going to do this. And so that circumcision is this outward sign of their covenant relationship with that God, mm-hmm. um, the one who is going to fight for them. Mm-hmm. And in a practical sense, all the males over 20 had died in, mm-hmm. in the wilderness. And so um, Joshua was doing this work again of circumcising those, his, his new band of uh, warriors mm-hmm. here. And uh, those who had been born in the wilderness had not been circumcised. So circumcision was this declaration that they were God's people and he was their God. It was, it's, it's covenantal. And much like baptism is that covenant sign for us today. Mm-hmm. So also within that pause was the Passover meal and that that's seemingly happening at an interesting time as well. But the Passover meal was a meal of remembrance of how the Lord allowed the death angels to pass over his people who had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts when they were slaves in Egypt. And now those who participate in the Lord's Supper and the body of Christ celebrate the death, resurrection, second coming of the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. I think of the Lord's Supper as a, a mutual preaching of the gospel to one another. It's a, it's a physical picture of, of us preaching the gospel to each other. So, Sandy and Amber, in, in what ways has regular participation in the Lord's Supper equipped you to face challenges in your own life? I think when I participate in the Lord's Supper, I usually have one of two reactions. If things are going well... Um, I am overcome by joy at God's great sacrifice and grace. And I leave the service just knowing that I've done nothing to earn my salvation, but just overwhelmed with gratitude um, for God's grace and love. But when things are not going well in my life, I'm stressed out or I'm anxious. The Lord's Supper reveals my sin to me in a usually very powerful way, be it sin of unbelief, anxiety, selfishness, pride. Um, And I'm reminded I can't do anything without Christ. And I usually just feel very broken in the midst of the meal. Um, But as I continue praying and meditating during that time, I find comfort. Um, Just even in the midst of the situation, I find great comfort knowing that I can't fix anything But the Lord's Supper, this meal, represents God's great sacrifice for me and that he's already done everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So and he can sustain me through anything. So I may Mm -hmm. not walk out joyful Mm -hmm. as I do at other times, but I at least leave the the service feeling at greater peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, strengthened. Or solid, you know, that solidness that your man <laughs> talks about, is, it really does come from an understanding of what the Lord's already accomplished for you. Yeah. It gives you that basis. For uh, for me, I've, I was thinking, because we did it on Sunday night, this past Sunday evening, we celebrated the Lord's Supper together as a church body. And we were starting to do this relatively new thing of everybody walking down the aisle to take communion up front. And I am not, I do not enjoy personally walking down to the front and taking mm-hmm. it. But I really have benefited from watching everybody else walk down and take it because it's like that visual picture of what you just said, Vanessa, preaching the gospel to one another. Because I see these families, I see these stories, I see struggles and victories and joys and sorrows and, and all of those things held together 
by the provision of Christ for us. And it, it's just a beautiful picture to me of what the Lord does, not just for me, but broader than me, even in the whole in the whole community. Kelly, how has being a witness to the sacrament of baptism performed in your children's lives given you courage when you see them facing their own life challenges? Their baptisms um, are a very tangible example of the truth that my children belong to the Lord and that he loves them um, more than I ever could hope to, that what he has for them is ultimately for their good, for his glory. And um, as we've walked alongside them through various things, seasons of loneliness or um, seasons of not feeling like they fit in or more recently heartbreak, um, mm-hmm. I've been able to look back and and see us see their baptisms in their baptisms, a sign of the Lord's promises for them that he delights to reveal himself through families and that he's going to be faithful to reveal himself to them. Um, that while this particular season may be hard with them, um, I pray that the Lord is using it to draw them to himself, um, that he's using it to allow them to look not to themselves and what they can do or be, but to rely on him, um, to be what they need. Hmm. When you say, what does that mean? It means that God covenants with the people and they are his people and he is their God and he walks before them. And that's what's happening here in these chapters. And I think it's part of why they are celebrating these sacraments is to remember who they are and who God is before they go into battle for the strength and courage to go into battle and for the reliance and trust and praise as they enter into that place, knowing that they go as the people of God. Uh, Dale Raff Davis has this this comment in his commentary, and I'm going to read it because it it encapsulates so well the story of what happens at Jericho and the fact that here is this huge army, and what they do for seven days is essentially walk around the city, blowing trumpets. They've got the Ark of the Covenant dead center in the middle, um, guarded on the front and on the back. It's really in, in, in the greatest sense, paraded around the city in order to say, this is the center of who we are. This who is this is who is come before you today. It is the Lord, uh, not us. And so he talks about the sort of unusual working of the Lord. And he says, sometimes it seems that God insists on bypassing people's activity in order to enhance his own glory among his people. If Israel only marches and shouts, there will be no doubt about who batters Jericho to the ground. God still functions this way. His normal pattern is to work through the instrumentality of his people. But since we have this tendency to obscure God's splendor and steal his praise, he sometimes sets our contributions aside so that we and others can perceive that the overwhelming power comes from God and not for us. So ladies, can y'all describe a time in your life when God set aside your contributions and worked in such a way that it was apparent that the overwhelming power came from God and not from you? Well, purely by the Lord's mercy, I haven't encountered any situations um, in life thus far as dramatic as Mm. walls needing to tumble Mm. down. Um, But the way I have seen his power revealed over and over in my life is through his provision. Um, He has been so, so faithful to provide and often in times where it was clearly nothing we had done, um, only his grace. Um, I can think of a lot of examples, anything from a check showing up in the mailbox um, that we weren't expecting to um, a hospital bill that we hadn't planned for that was covered by um, the mercy ministry of this church to 
being gifted a car. Um, but the one probably that I see the most clearly um, as a as a display of, of his power and provision is actually how I came to work for the church. Um, I started in children's ministry. The church was looking for a new nursery coordinator and Louise Coleman, the director of children's ministry, reached out to me to see if um, whether or not this job could be a good fit for me. And um, she asked me to pray and consider, you know, taking this job. And I told her I'd think about it and pray about it, but I really wasn't sure if it was the right time for me to go back to work. Our youngest was only three at the time, wasn't in, just wasn't sure I could swing it with all we had going on at home. And but I told her I'd pray about it and, and talk to Ogden. And literally the next day, Ogden lost his job. Um, and I, it was completely out of the blue and we were shocked. And I called Louise and said, well, the Lord has made it very clear mm. that... I'm supposed to take this job because, um, yeah, it's time for me to go back to work. Before I even knew I had the need, um, he had made provision yeah. to cover it. That's so awesome. It makes me tear up a little mm-hmm. bit just thinking about It's that. really sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think like Kelly said, I think God shows his power in our lives in a lot of small ways every day that we don't necessarily recognize. He does the big things sometimes too. And I, I have examples of both. Um, I had a season of life where I was kind of frustrated. I was having a little frustrating, uh, relationship with one of my children. They kind of knew how to push my buttons <laughs> and I was really praying for patience, which is always a dangerous prayer. <laughs> and I just remember, clearly remember having this interaction with this child and not getting frustrated and actually handling it well. And afterwards going, oh my gosh, that was a direct answer to prayer because there is no way I would have responded to this Mm -hmm. child in this way had it not been Mm -hmm. for God's power. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's just a small one. I think we need to be attuned to in our lives. Um, But I have had God show his power in my life in a big way. Several years ago, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called birdshot retinopathy and there, there is no cure. It's a degenerative disease that eventually causes you to lose your eyesight. Mm-hmm. And there are treatments that can slow the progression. The hope is to go into remission, but there, there is no cure. Um, so I met with the doctor and you know, did what I was told, but there was really nothing I could do. Um, so I got to a point where I felt like I was in remission and I really hated the medication and asked the doctor if I could come off of the medication. And he wasn't excited about it, but agreed to, to let me try. And he monitored my eyes and they were fine. And in fact, the last visit that I had with him several years ago, he said, if I didn't know you had this disease, I wouldn't know that you ever had this disease. Mm, wow. My retinas were totally normal looking. And I asked him, well, how is that possible? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, God has healed me. Mm-hmm. And his answer yeah. was, well, I don't know, but I, I do know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and kind of the, the other humbling part of that is I wasn't even a very good prayer mm-hmm. during that time. I prayed for mm-hmm. acceptance and peace, but I don't know that I consistently prayed for healing. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, that's what God chose to do in his power. That is mm-hmm. so awesome. For me, hands down, it's uh, when I was returning to school after having children and um, I was going to finish up a degree in computer science and I 
landed jobs long before I got the degree. And so I had always had internships and all of the, the like. And so, I, you know, so I was delayed in finishing the degree. And so it had been some time in between. I'd had three kids and I was going to go back and finish up like a semester of work or maybe a year. I forget now. But I had a deadline to, to get this done. And um, and talking to the advisor, he was saying, it's been a, a long enough now since you've done, you know, programming classes that the languages are all new and you'd have to, in order to be able to do the, your advanced classes, you've got to do like these five or six other classes to even get to that. And and I'm thinking, that's not what the Lord and I talked about. <laughs> so, I mean, literally, that's what I'm thinking. And so um, I said, well, can I just, can I try to do the class. And he said, I'll, I'll go ahead and put you in it. But if, if this class doesn't go well, you'll have to concede the fact that you, you're going to have to go back and take all of those classes. So, I mean, it's just really been a long since, time since you've had programming languages. And I said, okay. Okay. And so I remember sitting down at my computer at home so much had changed. I didn't know how to log in. I didn't know how to get into the system. It was all remote. It was all different than anything that I had seen. And so I remember just in desperation saying, Lord, you made the mind that created the system. And so I need you to help me here. Mm. And so when I, I tell you that class, that entire semester was just miracle after miracle. It was the Lord saying, I got you in this. Mm-hmm. because I wasn't going to go back and take all of those six <laughs> classes. It was just no way. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it just, it, it wouldn't have worked in my life at that time. And uh, the class that I was doubtful that I could even pass um, throughout the semester, the Lord sent like I'd be in the lab all night long and he sent the professor of the class. That never happens. The professor of the class is in there helping me through, write the program, helping me, you know, gu- you know guiding me through it. But anyway, the class that I was supposed to not fail, I got an A plus in. Mm -hmm. And it was nothing short of the Lord's power. So although the Lord was clearly working with great power in my experience, there was a part I had to do. Um, I had to show up. I had to do the work. um, And his power was carrying me along. But there was work I had to do. Uh, So relying on God to do what only he can do does not mean that we do nothing. Hebrews 1130 says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. How does this verse and the account in Joshua five through six help you understand how faith and action are to work together in your own life? Um, By nature, I'm a planner and a problem solver, and I like to do. And if I see something that's not right, I want to have a plan and I want to fix it. Um, so there, there was a time there I was working in a small office and there had been a tragedy at work and it was very stressful and I was very anxious, um, but I didn't feel I could quit. So I, you know, I worked on my resume some, but I just, I tried to just show up every day and be that good employee and be the good coworker and do my job well, um, because I, I, that's what I felt like I needed to do, but I was very unhappy and very stressed. And um, so instead of taking action or praying to God about what should I do, I actually asked him to change my attitude. I, mm-hmm. he, he commands us to be content in all situations. And I really felt like I needed to stay in the situation. And so my prayer then became, make me content where I am. 
and let me do good work while I'm here. And if that's not your will, then make it clear for me that I can leave. Mm -hmm. And um, he answered that in a very surprising way when my boss walked in and said my job was being eliminated and I needed to be gone by five o'clock. Oh, wow. So I was... I, at first, I was really upset because no one likes to be fired. But the next, <laughs> right. the next day, I'm going for my morning run, and it just hit me how light I felt. Mm. Um, and it was lighter than I'd felt in weeks. And I realized that was God's answer to my prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I wanted to do, he is the one who actually ended up doing the work um, when I asked him to make me content or make me move. Mm. Well, I think about um, what God told the Israelites to do as they walk around Jericho and and their faith that he was going to do what he promised. Um, I just I think what I fall back on is I I still have to do the thing God told me to do, whatever that looks like in a given. um, I can have I can have faith all day long that he is going to he is going to keep his covenant promises that he has made to, to us and to our family and. Um, but I still have to do the things um, he commands us in scripture to, to train up your child, to love your husband, to, you know, mm. there, there, there's work I have to do day in, day out. Um, but the faith changes my whole posture on the outcome um, of that work, the outcome, the success, the failure, the whether my children are walking with the Lord, whether um, things are going well um, at any given moment at work or at home, you know the success or the failure isn't up to me as long as um, I'm being faithful to do the work that he's called me to do. I can trust um, that the Lord is, is using it to accomplish his purposes, whatever that ends up looking like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like how you worded that, just the fact that you're not as concerned with the outcome mm-hmm. because there is something about working hard, mm-hmm. but not being quite sure where it's going to land you. That makes it an anxious type of work. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to a, I'm, I'm doing what the Lord has commanded me to do because he knows, yeah. uh, cause he's good, uh, because he has control of things that I don't have control of. And, you know, listening to y'all's stories, I just, I love that it does highlight, those are miraculous stories, all of those stories. And sometimes we, I think we get a little squeamish saying that something's mm-hmm. that miraculous, but that the Lord wants to show himself, like Dale Ralph Davis was saying, so clearly so that we can't steal his praise. Right. And Sandy, you know, you mentioned he does that in a lot of small ways in life too. And I know that I'm so tempted to steal his praise mm-hmm. when a parenting moment goes well mm-hmm. or I happen to get my checklist done or whatever it would be. I think, man, when I'm weak, when I'm, when my praise and my worship seems so small, then obviously I have a false idea of who's really at work here. Mm-hmm. And so what I loved about the people marching around the walls is they did, they had the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of the Lord's presence and power and covenant with them in the center. And, you know, you got to imagine what's it like to just to just walk around seven days and think, <laughs> what is this doing? Yeah. You know, and, and it's just driving him the point that this is displaying for you that God is surrounding this place. It's not about what you do. It's about the Lord. But of course, they did walk. They walked. They did what they were commanded to do. You know, my boys are into wearing recently these um, and they're not new. They were around in my day. 
Oh, but the WWJD, what would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. Bracelets. And I, I'm a little bit of an Eeyore about the WWJD <laughs> bracelets. And so my boys always give me a hard time about, Mom, you just think too much about things. But I'm like, okay, so you're wearing this, what would Jesus do bracelets? Like, oh, why, why are you wearing that? Like, what <laughs> Don't does that be that mean? parent, yeah, Amber. <laughs> that parent. They're like, Mom, it just means you're like, what would Jesus do in a situation? He would be kind or he would hurt. I'm like, okay, I get that. And I appreciate that. But I don't want you to think that you can do whatever Jesus does. Like, right. you don't slap right. that bracelet on your wrist and think, I'm going to be Jesus. Like, right. that's not how this works. Are you going to emulate what the Lord's saying? Of course, you're laughing and they're rolling there. I was like, Mom, it's just a bracelet. <laughs> but it did make me think, I want my boys to know and I want me to know that there's things that only God does. There's things that only Jesus does. And so, in this account, it is only God who is um, the powerful judge. It's not Israel. And it's only God who is the redeemer. You know, just the spies being told to go in, in the, in the middle of all that's going on for the spies to be told to go into Jericho and rescue Rahab. You think there's war going on. Mm. You know, you think about what's Rahab doing in that moment. Do you ever just think about what it's like to sit in your room and stay in your room while everything around you is being destroyed and Mm. you're your faith is, am I really going to be rescued mm-hmm. out of this? Like, is somebody really coming for me? Or are they going to forget me? And that she stayed in that place of faith and waited for that redemption and that rescue. And that they walked in and walked her out to think about her sitting in that room waiting for that. I do feel like sometimes in life you sit there and you think, okay, is salvation really going to show up in this particular sin in this particular situation in this particular struggle with my child am I really going to wait and sometimes it's actively waiting doing the the things of obedience but it's not stepping outside of who you're waiting for and taking things into your own hands and saying no the Lord is salvation and he is going to show up and he's going to walk me out out of my own sin out of judgment out of difficult situations I think that's the beauty of um seeing who the Lord is in that place that when you your faith is secure in that type of redeemer then your response is empowered um, it's humble and it's grateful amen and we're grateful for the rescue aren't we with that note of encouragement we hope you will join us again next week let us keep you company while you go for a run or enjoy watching the fall leaves turn If you want to see the pretty faces of our guests, check out our Women's Bible Study Facebook page at Women's Bible Study FPCA or find us on Instagram, First Pres Augusta Women. Hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again. A season of pure shining to cheer it after the rain.